don't know this, then you're behind the times. The only metric that matters is convenience. Rules apply to you. Suddenly you're an advertiser. This week on Social Minds, our content mm-hmm. is going to be next to real life moments and also other creative. We spoke to Jason Maldonado, who is the director of social media at SurveyMonkey, and before that was the head of social media marketing at MailChimp, two eight based B2B brands that need no introduction. Yes, who says B2B brands shouldn't aspire to be as interesting and engaging as their B2C counterparts on social? They absolutely should, as we found out during our fascinating discussion with Jason. We also touched on how to translate reels and reels of data into a story worth hearing, why a leader with no followers is just going for a walk, and why there will be more than a few moments of January optimism in 2021. You're going to strike out a lot of times with ideas, and that's fine, but you have to have the grit to keep looking for that next big thing and setting aside time to, like, I think, properly develop it. All this and more coming up. How can B2B brands use data to create exciting campaigns? Yeah, I mean, I think there's so much opportunity for the B2B brands out there in the world and and many different marketing spaces. The first thing I like to do is to get my tools in order. So specifically, I really like to get digital listening tools. This could be like a Meltwater or a Brandwatch. These tools typically allow you to kind of put out um, like a cast net to understand like what people are saying about your brand, your brands, your competitors. And then I always like to track aspirational brands, like brands that I think are just doing it really, really well. And you basically can get all of that data kind of mined, brought back to you. And then with a little extra time, of course, you can start to see what's working and what's not working across different areas, which is, I think, uh, really, really phenomenal. So I think using kind of that data to kind of first start extracting it, and then you can kind of understand like the insights from all of the data. And then use that to kind of bring it in-house specifically to make pivots where the business hasn't really gone before. With so much data and so much information out there, how do you know when you sort of struck gold and landed a key insight that you can really use in your campaign? Yeah, great great question. Uh, Because there is a lot of out there. I think, you know, one of the things I think is super, super important is to set aside time to look at the data and to think critically. So when I when I look at uh, competitors, and again, I think truly looking at brands that are outside of your, uh, your sector outside of your industry, um, I will, I will look at those brands and think what, how would my brand jump into this? How would my brand do something like this? And more times than not, the answer may be nothing. It's not our voice and tone. But sometimes you'll think, oh, actually, there might be a really interesting way that we could do something like this. Um, That still feels relevant, right? And I think being able to set aside that time to do that, to build up that muscle, to allow yourself to think big, you know, uh, critically and aspirationally is super important. So I think looking at kind of what you have right now as a brand, thinking about what your company knows about your competitors and your industry, if you have a good solid foundation of that, once you start getting the data in, if you can set aside an hour or two just to look at the data and think about what you guys don't know, or some of the insights that maybe your internal teams don't know, bringing those back to the business, whether that be a creative team, whether that be, you know, maybe that's somebody in recruiting because you're trying to get more talent. Maybe that's leadership at a top level in regards to how the industry is changing. But if you can set aside time, again, I usually set aside like two hours on Fridays, just to look at the data that I have, 
and think through what is something that we didn't know either as a team, digital marketing team, or the business. I wonder if the business doesn't know about this. And how can I start sharing some of this stuff with internal teams? Once you do that and start rifting with people, a lot of times you'll find out whether or not your insight is truly unique and valuable, and you can start building potentially a campaign off of there. Now, as any big agency will tell you, you're going to strike out a lot of times with ideas and that's fine, but you have to have the grit to keep looking for that next big thing and setting aside time to like, I think, properly develop it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And on the case of the next big thing, sort of uh, thinking, Jason, at what point does these statistics and the data that you've collected, at what point can that really inform your creative? Because I sometimes feel there can be a love-hate relationship with creativity and data. Oh, I, I, it's, it, that's, a, that's, a great, that's a great question. I, I find that the brand teams that I've worked for in the, in the past love the data, mainly because it gives them a better understanding as to why we're doing something. So so many different creative teams out there, I think sometimes feel like they're more of an operational lever than kind of a creative uh, space where they can dream up. And if you have the data to kind of show them like this really works or this has worked in the past, or we have reason to believe this is going to get us from X to X, they're willing uh, more times than not creative teams to put more of their heart and soul into it because then they know this isn't just your wild hunch, your theory on something. It feels a little bit more real and creative teams will want to be a part of the thing that is going to get a lot of recognition with consumers or users or the internal leadership team. So any any great creative team I've worked with absolutely values the, the creative insight. Now, I do think a lot of times they prefer more qualitative insight because it's a little bit more attached, uh, uh, um, approachable from like a sentiment perspective, emotional. And I think that's something that's typically more times than not something that they resonates with them because there's a lot of emotion and power in building piece of creative. So a lot of them, I think, really love to know, like, what is the mindset of the consumer? So if you're getting quantitative feedback, how can you translate that to qualitative emotional feedback that will then better kind of speak their language more times than not? So that way they can really dream up of something really big. So um, I, I personally don't find a lot of uh, back and forth between, you know, the researchers and the creative team. I think it's just a matter of making sure that you can translate it so everyone understands the value of the data that you're um, that you're bringing to them. And in some cases, it's done in like discovery meetings before you even kick off an ideate. Like, let's just sit down for a discovery meeting, talk about the data and collectively all understand it and make sure it's translated in our own individual languages that mean something to us. Uh, again, different departments, it, it has to be kind of a said in a way that, again, aligns with the way that they're, they're vernacular. And then once they understand it, then I think everyone feels more empowered to do something great with it. Mm. I mean, Jason, you mentioned before comparing yourself to aspirational brands. So can you maybe tell us what the reason for that has been um, for the brands you've worked with and what the benefits you think are of B2B brands that might sell like utilities or a service aspiring to the Nikes of the world? Yeah, the biggest, um, I'm a huge, huge fan of asking all of my leadership team members, like what are one or two brands that outside of our industry that you really enjoy? Ask your leadership that. And if you don't have access to your leadership team, get, get, get sneaky, go to their Instagram pages, go to their Twitter handles, see what brands they're following and identify one or two that you also think are doing it really well from a marketing perspective. Put those brands on your list of things to monitor. Um, a good example is when I was at MailChimp, you know, our, one of our founders was really obsessed with different car brands, Porsche, et cetera. And so I would follow those brands and they do a lot of really great things well. When I would then go pitch him an idea, 
if I saw that it was something that Portia kind of did, I might use Portia as an example, as a way to speak his language and get buy-in because I knew it was a brand he followed on Instagram. I knew it was a brand that if I said, do you see how this brand is doing X? MailChimp should probably consider doing X as well. I knew again, it would translate easier and you'd get better buy-in. So, you know, finding aspirational brands that mean something to your internal leadership team and something to you will allow a B2B company, which typically is kind of seen as a couple years behind in like the creative marketing space, it will allow you to kind of see where uh, the larger digital space is going, make proposals for how your brand can get there faster or ahead of the game before other B2B companies. And if you're following really great brands that your leadership team likes, then you're able to get faster buy-in as opposed to having to spend kind of years chipping away building a case, if you will. Do you think there's any honesty in the sort of myth that B2B brands and B2C brands should approach social first creative differently? I think that, you know, um, a lot of B2B brands, I think a lot of B2B brands are a little bit more traditional in the sense of making fast pivots to keep up with culture. Um, oh. and, I, and I think a lot of that then trickles down into marketing because you might have a lot of uh, companies that have more traditional ways of running their business, then typically it's a little bit harder to kind of shift that mindset or shift the organization if it's a big organization. So I, I think that if you can, again, show them how your content is going to be stacked up against other content. A good example would be in any kind of strategy deck I put together for digital marketing, especially if it's related to, let's just say, social media. I'll show them like, let's look at a news feed on Facebook or Twitter. Those news feeds, our content is going to be sandwiched in between an amazing Nike ad, an amazing oh. Coca-Cola ad. And simultaneously in between those, you're going to see like a, a post about somebody's wedding or somebody's, um, you know, announcement of a, of a new uh, child and or you're going to see something about COVID. A good example was I was taking like a, a video screen grab kind of share with my leadership team, because this really hit me. This was probably like four months ago at MailChimp when I was trying to show them like how we need to continue to push ourselves to be more culturally relevant and make sure that we're not coming across as tone deaf during this very, very volatile time culturally in 2020. Mm -hmm. And as I was scrolling through my newsfeed, I saw a an amazing Nike ad. And then a post down from that, I saw my post, which was about the passing of my grandmother, my grandma passed away of COVID. And it was this this amazing shot I had from me and my grandma from years ago where our hands were kind of interlocked and you have the youth of my hand and her kind of frail hand. And the copy was very much just, you know, really my sorrow about losing my grandma to COVID. And then the next post was a B2B brand from not from MailChimp, but from another brand. And I screen grabbed that kind of flow in that newsfeed because I wanted to show them that our content mm -hmm. is going to be next to real life moments and also other creative. We're not pushing out our content just to news feeds where people are only seeing other B2B content. They're seeing life and emotion and they're seeing top tier content. So we have to rise to the occasion to be relevant in these news feeds, whether that be creative content or like empathetic connection with people and what's going on in their lives. Yeah, that's a really good point. I'm keen to know as well on that front, you'll know that the, the word at the moment and has been for a good few years has been authenticity. How do you get people to authentically sort of buy into a B2B product, even if the creative is foolproof when there's not that obvious link there between say a male chimp and culture? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the the reality is, is they're all on, they're all on these social media channels, right? Like everybody 
is is on at least one social media channel for the most part. You're the people who are going to buy into buying your product, uh, whether that's a B two B and they're you know they're a certain type of decision maker. There's enough targeting in all of these social media channels where you can find them and put an ad in front of them. But how are you putting again an ad in front of them that allows them to uh, see the value? So how are you selling the solution? To me, it starts with like show them the problem you're solving them, like you're helping solve for them, making their life easier, making their job easier. Right. And and allowing them to be a rock star internally as an employee and, and a great ambassador for their brand. If you can sell the solution for them um, and they can see the finish line, the work to get there, clicking through, buying the product, that becomes a lot, lot easier for them to kind of want to be and get engaged and to really want to understand the product. Because they know if I take a moment to understand the product, if I go click through and see what this company is offering me, I at least know that the finish line could look something like X. They're telling me Mm -hmm. the value is something like X. So you have, you know, you have limited time, get to get to the problem you're solving. And then the, you know, the the product that's going to help them solve that. As well, speaking of the limited time, I mean, the speed of social, it's so, so quick. To pull in the data again, how do you sort of balance that strategic led thinking and data when social moves so fast, when it's so reactive? Yeah, I, you know, I typically balance my team somewhere around 60 to 70 planned content and then 30, 40% real time. Uh, the reality is, is social isn't always on platform. You have to kind of keep, you know, close to it. I have almost every functioning app that allows me to stay, you know, in touch with not just my internal teams, should I see something trending and we need to make a pivot. But most social media teams now have to have the capabilities of uh, designers. And so if something were to happen on the weekend or on, you know, off hours, I might use a template that my design team gave me and be able to go into Adobe, uh, you know, different products and create something with that template so I can push something out fast. So it, it a lot of social media teams have a, a variety of different talents, uh, just so that way they can really meet the speed of social. It also, from a leadership perspective, I give my team the time to do that, which again is super important. Uh, 60 to 70% of our content is servicing the business, as I might say, or like we will help push out the content that is known, that we know is coming, we've all been planning it. But setting aside that time to say, let's check in on the channels, let's see what's going on out there in the world, what trends are going on, how can we make pivots? The pivots don't always need to be like we're posting right this second, although it can be. It could be a larger trend that like this is happening. It's been happening for a couple of days. Let's spend a couple of, you know, let's spend like a week developing the right thing for that. But you still have to set aside time to do that um, and making sure that it fits within, I think, the, the organizational structure that you're in specifically. If it's a small business, maybe you don't need to build in a process for larger businesses like MailChimp and SurveyMonkey, where I'm at now. It's a matter of building in that that process with your internal teams in advance. So better to have it and not need it than need it, not have it. So a lot of times for these real time requests, we will agree upon a template we can use. And if it's creating a piece of um, an asset that lives beyond that template or it needs to be uniquely different, how can I quickly get in touch with my brand team or design team member to quickly say, here's the trend, here's what we put together, here's why we think it works, can we get approval or uh, some type of quick edit so that way we can meet the speed of social. But ironing out that process is super crucial in advance so that way you can kind of meet the speed of social and stay on top of it. I mean, I want to talk a little bit about the execution of your ideas as well as the creativity. So with B2B brands, I mean, online only experiences 
make a lot of sense because the product's relatively simple. With B2B brands, you know, can the same be said for business customers when, you know, the products or the services are often a bit more complex and the actual process it takes to buy something, you know, has a lot more steps to it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, this is one of my favorite things to kind of show companies is, it, it, you know, there are so many amazing brands out there that are doing product, you know, product marketing content well. Um, you know, humble brag, but MailChimp and the work I've helped do with them is is one of them. But Slack does really great kind of product and feature product how-to pieces of content. Um, and th- there are just, there are many of them, even brands that you sometimes don't even think that they're doing it. PayPal is a really great example. They, they put out small mm-hmm. little awareness videos of their newest features. So there's a lot of different brands out there that really show you, here's how you can do XYZ. Facebook uh, and Instagram for business do that really well. They have entire mm. channels that are just dedicated to showing other small to medium sized businesses how to get started using their tool, the different products that they offer an ads manager and content creation and planning. So if you can show them, here are examples of other B2B uh, softwares or companies that are creating this how-to content uh, and different types because there's how-to awareness videos, which is really just to make people aware of your product. Then there's in-depth how-to videos, right? And then there's a lot of times use cases where you're doing kind of one-on-one webinars with different um, people who are using your product and they're talking about the success. But if you can show them like an itemized, almost like menued list, here's different types of product marketing content that work across different channels and a scale of you know how successful they can be for brands. A lot of times what happens is they go, oh, I, I get it now. Or I didn't realize that was a possibility that we could do that. Um, that's mm-hmm. typically what I find is typically I will show them like, here's a menu. And they're like, I've never seen a menu like this. I didn't realize that there was this many different types of ways that we can bring product marketing to social media or the digital space. Once they are educated, and again, you're speaking their language, then the next time you're planning a product launch or talking about a new updated feature, you can sit down with them and say, yeah, I'll take the number two, but with no onions. You know, I I will take that one and that one. um, And we'll work with the creative team to understand like what the timeline is to doing something like that. Mm, That's really interesting. I never thought about using uh, Facebook and Instagram as a case study for that as well. But but you're so right uh, from that point of view. I'm just wondering, Jason, from a sort of transactional point of view, how you see B2B marketing on social, because so much of it is about brand building and brand awareness. But from a transactional point of view, do you find that you, you know, a lot of people will, for product of a B2B nature, buy through social and go via social and make that purchase? Or? I, yeah, I think, you know, for the most part, social still is the, uh, you know, awareness consideration place, right? Like I think for a lot of product launches, you're building awareness of that new product. And a lot of times if you're, if your business is growing in ways that it's, it's, not typically known for, you're still kind of also building awareness of your brand evolution. Now, I think that there are definitely really amazing post features across different social channels that will allow you to drive traffic to your website. So that way people can then move from just awareness to consideration um, and education about your brand or your product. So one analogy I use pretty frequently is a lot of our content on social media, I play the role as a club promoter. So I, I'm putting out different kinds of really cool flyers. And as long as the flyer matches the club and to which I'm sending you our .com site, then I've done a great job. I'm bringing in the, I'm bringing in the people who have moved to consideration. If they, once they get to the club, if they decide to stay awesome, then our club or our website is in a really good space. But if they don't stay and they leave and assuming I haven't like baited them by saying like, here's what the club is offering, but it's not really there. 
Um, if they get there and they stay, then great job for the website. If they don't, then we have to evaluate those pages that we're sending people to to understand why they're not taking the time to learn more. So uh, there, I would say social media is still kind of an awareness consideration play. However, we do have in most every organization I've worked in, a lot of dollars that spend aside to just do demand gen. So again, we're talking about like really hyper targeting to very specific roles and getting them to uh, work with our sales team to drive uh, potential signups for uh, customer calls, customer webinars. So it, it's still in a consideration phase for sure, but a little bit more to the consideration part that almost gets them to flip to actually be an acquired customer. So you really have to kind of think about that funnel and think through the various types of social media ads and digital ads you're putting out there and how targeting will allow you then to identify what area of the funnel you're like uh, targeting, but then also where you're hoping to move them down mm-hmm. to the funnel. No, definitely. I mean, obviously, the fact that buying decisions take longer and are slightly more involved with B2B. How does that change your approach then to creating content or even full on campaigns when you're on social? Can you sort of talk us through your steps and, and what strategies you put in place for these different con- like phases of consideration from awareness to getting them to the website, etc? Yeah, I mean, I think the first uh, phase for me is to understand your audience and audiences. So in, in many cases, understanding your segments or the people you're trying to reach. And a lot of times it's there's many of them. So once you understand who your audiences are, then what you can do is go into every social channel and start to look at from um, a paid perspective, what targeting capabilities do I have to reach that audience? Typically, once I do that, and this is kind of the creative, uh, this is a a form of creativity that I really enjoy. Somebody might say, here's the person I'm trying to target. And sometimes they'll just tell me like personas. Here's who I believe that person is. They're this person, their lifestyle is XYZ. Sometimes people will tell me this is their job title. This is who exactly we're looking for. They're at this household income. They're typically... Uh, this age range, no matter what kind of information I get about that target audience, then I can take that back, look at how Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn allow for targeting and they, or they're all very different. And then it almost becomes like a fun or Rubik's cube. This is the nerdy part of social media that most people don't know about, um, where you build up different targeting approaches, then I'll go back to that person. And I'll say, listen, here from um, high uh, chance of reaching your person, here is the potential reach here on the other end of the spectrum is a broader reach. It's not as specific, but we could potentially reach more eyeballs. Well, you'll go back to your teams and say, here's the various ways that we can reach individuals across the funnel. Now, where do we want to invest our dollars, assuming we've got the right piece of advertising? Um, Once they help you make the decision, and it kind of feels like a collaborative effort, then you can then start saying, this person, we need to create a piece of content because we believe that they're somewhere this in the funnel, they're very close to buying, or maybe they're just they did nothing about they know nothing about our brand. So we know that we need to start with an introductory product piece or introductory business introduction piece. Mm -hmm. So it needs to be high level, it needs to be introductions, and we can retarget them with specific pieces later. If they know about our brand and just haven't made the jump, then maybe we really want to get into more of um, selling them on solutions. Maybe we want to show them or highlight to them that all of their competitors are using this or people like them are using this. So they probably really need to start moving to understanding your brand and potential use of your product. So you can start kind of crafting the individual narratives once you understand your different target audiences and, and kind of where they are specifically with understanding your brand and potentially making a Mm, And I suppose data is a really important part of that. Yeah. And this is where your brand team is going to love you because if you can do that, 
when you go back to your creative team members, you're really talking about then building a narrative. You're talking about a journey saying like, this person doesn't like, this person has no idea who you are. So much like a, a very simple meeting somebody at a, at, at a party or meeting somebody at a social, you have to go up to and introduce yourself, right? You have to make it a, a, a two-way exchange. You have to be interesting and exciting and, and show them that you're interested in them as well versus you've already met this person. So we have to assume you can assume that like you can move a little bit faster with somebody like this because they know your brand. So you start to build that kind of uh, narrative with your brand teams. That's typically what they kind of understand a little bit better or what's what kind of makes them excited is understanding that kind of communication that's going to happen with the piece of creative they're developing um, and how it's going to translate to some type of um, end goal, whether that be clicks to your website, engagement, or simply just uh, awareness of your brand. Mm. We'll get, get to uh, storytelling a bit more in just a second, Jason. But before we do, you mentioned something a second ago in terms of targeting. And I think most people would generally consider Facebook and Instagram to be the best for targeting. But you mentioned these different approaches from a B2B standpoint and from your own personal standpoint. How do the platforms sort of match up and which platforms do you find excel at certain type of targeting over others? Yeah, I think from my experience, you're right, like Facebook and Instagram uh, offer the best targeting and the best variety of targeting. And, and really what it comes down to, if you're spending enough time thinking about targeting, building out targeting approaches, is they just have some features that allow you to get hyper specific, which is really great. So a good example of that, and, and LinkedIn has this tool as well, they have like a narrowing feature that allows you to say like, I'm looking for somebody who likes X, likes the X, um, has this personality, is interested in this, has this job title, but I don't want them to have this, 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 this. That type of um, tool allows you again to really hone in on the audience you're looking for. And when you start to drive clicks to your website, when you start to drive engagements, uh, then you have a higher confidence that you can bring back to your team that you reach the right person and that you really are helping support the goals of the business or the goals of that team. Um, you know, t- Twitter and I think Pinterest, they're getting better with their targeting capabilities. They don't have as many as uh, Facebook and LinkedIn have. It's, it's really, really phenomenal from an awareness perspective, Twitter, but you also have to be very mindful of who the average person is on Twitter. Almost, almost everybody I know is either on Facebook or Instagram, if not both, right? In fact, most people nowadays, if you meet somebody and they say like, I, I'm not on Facebook or Instagram or not social media, you're not, you're usually like not none of them. It's, it's slightly surprising nowadays, but the majority of individuals out there usually have a Facebook or Instagram page, which then means you have more of a selection of people to reach if you're putting ad dollars behind that. Not as many people on Twitter, not as many people uh, I would say as frequently on LinkedIn. Now, LinkedIn, of course, in 2020 is seeing huge booms because of people on there more often because they're looking for jobs. But the point is, is that people aren't using it at the same rate daily as they would in Instagram or Facebook, which then limits the amount of exposure you might have with trying to reach an audience. I just wanted to butt in and just because I'm curious, like what about platforms like TikTok, which we spend our lives recommending to like B2C brands because it's like trendy and the reach is insane. And there's like lots of young people on there, which they, they're trying to reach, but it's not just young people. I mean, is that something that like a brand like Serving Monkey would ever consider? Oh, for sure. I mean, there, there's, if you start to live in a world where you, you're not open to possibilities, then I think you've kind of reached a, a moment where you need to bring in somebody else who can help um, just build inspiration. I mean, certainly there are platforms out there that are just easier for us to tap into than others, whether that be oh. any of the brands, American Cancer Society, Home Depot, 
uh, MailChimp. These are just some of the brands I've worked on. There's going to be some platforms that are better suited for us than others. But the reality is you should never stop challenging yourself to think through, what if we did have a TikTok account? What if we did have a Snapchat uh, account? Again, more times than not, you may come to the same you know, end road, which is, mm, doesn't really make sense for us. But there might be a moment oh. where you think, you know what, actually, I think I have found a way to do this. And in some cases, it doesn't need to live specifically with your team. So a good example would be at American Cancer Society. You know, I worked at the headquarters, but we had over 2000 uh, local chapters that would host local events. Perhaps things like Snapchat are better left for those communities, those individual communities oh. where they can start their American Cancer Society of Atlanta or American Cancer Society of San Francisco, because you really for that type of um, platform want to one, what's going to resonate there is like one to one communication or community, you know, maybe they don't want to hear from a corporate brand. But if you can give it to a person or a team, whether that be um, an HR department, whether that be a local chapter of American Cancer Society, at Home Depot, we allowed every one of our stores to have their own local social media channels. So that way they could engage with their communities in that way. And it can come across a little bit more authentic, because if you're a reoccurring customer, specifically, then you can go in there and know that like, oh, I'm getting posts from the general manager of the store or somebody who works in the store. For American Cancer Society, I'm hearing from Snapchat or TikTok from individuals who are you know, driving locally uh, donations in my community. So you're almost given a little bit more uh, community feel. You're given a little bit more of a pass on being present as a brand on those channels because you're humanizing the experience more versus mm. a corporate and their, you know, corporate brand and their logo, you know, being present in these channels can kind of feel like, you know, a 30 something at a high school party. It's very clear that you're um, out of place. However, um, you know, you can still blend in here. You, it just it, it's uh, it takes a little bit more work, I think, sometimes. I find that really interesting, Jason, because it also uh, shines a light on that need to, you know, really diversify your content instead of the approach that many people take, I suppose, which is to put everything everywhere. I mean, do you find that commonly in the B2B market, you will see a lot of the same content that was posted on Instagram cross posted on other channels? Or, or are those companies out there who will really hone into specific channels and, you know, different parts of the business almost? Yeah, I mean, it always comes down to what your um, what your people process tools are is what I typically say. So understanding how much time and effort you have, uh, the, the, you know, to put into different channels, social media, digital ads, etc, you're going to need to develop your, your primary focal channels. These are the channels that help drive our biggest goals for the business, we're going to spend the majority of our time here, we're gonna have secondary channels that are, you know, great to play on, we will frequently update them, we will try to create custom content for them, because maybe they're a little bit more unique. However, they take a lot more effort. So um, it, typically, that's what I would do is hone in after doing some analysis on what are the channels do I think are going to help us meet the business goals specifically? And then what are the how are we going to create you know, unique content best we can for those individual channels? What are our secondary channels? And which ones are we going to continue to ideate and think through the best way to be on those channels? And if it's relevant, in regards to making, you know, unique content, again, that's kind of a um, that really comes down to the um, tools you have at your disposal or the teams, what kind of bandwidth do you have from your creative team or agencies, right? We all dream of having very specific, unique content across all of our individual channels. But the reality is every time I do an audit, it is incredibly rare that I see a brand that is actually doing that. I, I, mm. it's, it's difficult to find a brand that doesn't 
cross promoter share the same content across multiple channels. Even the bigger brands of the world, you'll see the Starbucks and the Cokes and the Nikes of the world, they will share video assets and gifts across multiple channels. And the reality is, is because creating unique content for a specific channel is incredibly difficult. I think the two channels that a lot of teams will do that for Instagram, uh, TikTok and, and Snapchat, because the format is so dramatically different. The the community is so dramatically different, right? So you, you, you're really forced if you're going to be in those spaces to do that versus it's incredibly easy to share the same content because the communities are more similar than not on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Mm, mm. I mean, is, is there maybe an element of above the line thinking still there where, you know, you've got the big campaign and everything sort of goes back to the campaign and maybe a fear of diversifying so much that the dots don't add up almost or? Yeah, I think 100%. I, I, I think um, one of the interesting things that I always tell people uh, in regards to social media is it's it's such a it's such an ongoing brand play because the reality is is sometimes I'll I'll hear people say well we want to hit them with this post first and then because they've seen that first post then we're going to hit them with this post next and then this post and I'm like so we have no way of guaranteeing that the, that same person is going to see all three all three of these posts <laughs> we have no way of seeing that there's no way of knowing that each each social media channel has a different algorithm, which is going to serve up our content to different people every single time. And certainly, if somebody engages with us frequently, the likelihood of them seeing it is higher, but there's still no guarantee. So building that type of very specific narrative can become tricky. What isn't tricky is over the course of three, four, five months, if you're running a campaign, making sure it's consistent. So if they see one post of you one week, but then don't see another from you, for two weeks again because of an algorithm, it still kind of has the same narrative or still has a narrative that makes sense as they maybe think about connecting the dots between the pieces they've seen. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, completely. I was just I was just gonna say, I mean, this sort of leads into the storytelling element. And obviously storytelling is so important externally and in campaigns. But one of the things we spoke about, I remember, is uh, the importance of uh, using data to tell stories internally to, you know, whether that's the pitching process or pitching to teams to really buy people into the idea and get them on board. I mean, how do you go about that, Jason? And what advice do you have? Yeah, I mean, I think most people are receptive to data because then what happens is it takes, it, it doesn't become um, an individual's idea or a team idea. This is coming from a credible source. So we all kind of mm -hmm. have to acknowledge that and agree upon it. So if you can bring in data, whether that's looking at your post performance or your community performance on your social channels, whether that's looking at um, your share of voice by using a brand watcher, a Sysimos, to understand like, here's how many times we're mentioned in a day, a month, and here's what people are saying, and here's what the sentiment is. It could be a third-party analysis from a, you know, e-marketer pew uh, to kind of say like, here's the direction of where social media is going. Bringing in that research then provides a layer of credibility that, that starts you off when you're having conversations with them, of course, to say like, We've done our research. I'm respecting your time as a leader by showing you that we've, we've looked into it. We know what's going out there in the world. Doing something like that is going to come across to them, of course, as being prepared, as being strategic, which it is, and, um, and respectful of their time. So that way, when you start to get down to, so what does this mean? Here's what we, here's what we believe we should be doing. Here's what we need to be doing, X, Y, Z. They know it's rooted in data. Now, the other side of that is saying, great, we know we need to be doing this. Here's what we need to do. 
And then here's what we think the result is going to be, right? So you're going to have to do something like that. So that way, again, that's that finish line, even for them that gets them excited to say, yes, I want to cross the finish line. In some cases, when Mm -hmm. it's really uncomfortable, it's something new to the organization. It's something that you know is going to be met with little, "Uh, I'm not sure we've not done this before, or I'm not sure if um, this is an area that maybe is is, uh, comfortable for us from a B2B narrative perspective, it's going to come down to somebody who is going to have to say, just trust me, I have years of experience, Mm -hmm. or I've done this before. And we really should try this. And I call those like stomach flip moments. And I think in many Mm -hmm. cases, if you're in the storytelling space, whether that's on a creative team, or whether that's in, you know, social media, digital advertising, if you're not occasionally giving yourself a stomach flip moment where you're trying something new that's uncomfortable to learn or to do something, then you're probably following into a rut of just the same, you know, uh, rinse, wash and repeat type content. And that's not going to help break through into that newsfeed, like I said, when you're stacked between personal life moments and other brands that are creating really compelling content and thinking about ways they can stand out. So in many cases, you're going to have to be the, the person who says, just trust me. And when it goes well, great, we can continue to chat about different, unique, innovative ways we continue to stretch the brand and our community. And if it doesn't go well, then you know what, I'm going to follow up and say, here's what we learned, we can say we tried it. And here, you know, here was the minimal impact it had on the business. Um, But again, a lot of times it comes down to a brand team member, design team member, marketing member saying, just trust me, we should just try this and do it. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people listening will be able to relate to that. I mean, I I wanted to ask you, when we first spoke, you said something that stuck with me, which was a leader without followers is just going for a walk. I wondered if you could share with everyone what you meant by that. Yeah, that's not a quotation that I can coin. That's definitely um, a known one. But it was one that was stuck in my head at that moment. And it was mainly because um, this, this, the CEO of SurveyMonkey, I had a one-on-one with him and he said that. And and it really uh, you know sat with me, not just because he said it, but because it, it really reminded me again sometimes of the value of social media specifically and the building of the community. So I I mean, I think a lot of times you're really looking towards um, building content that of course gets people talking, whether it's in your industry. Of course, every B2B brand would love to have the community that a Peloton does or Nike does. But the reality is, is you're probably looking to start that kind of thought leadership community within your specific industry, because that's most likely what's actually going to lead to conversions for your company or sales for your company, which would be great. So that's kind of the external thing that really sits with me is like the power of building a community and seen as a thought leader within your specific area of business. Even if you're a small retail business or a medium sized, you know, retail owner, the reality is, is, you know, having a pulse on what is trending or what is good within that retail space um, and, and building that confidence that your store online or offline or both has that is going to be super, super important for people. So they know they can always come to your destination. Yeah, no, absolutely. Internally, you know, I think the reality is, is if you're in an organization, it takes a village to to really create amazing creative, right? And so you're going to have to build up your your, uh, friendships, your allies internally. So that way, when you do pitch something big, that maybe is uncomfortable for the organization, or maybe is asking for a lot more promotional dollars than you're used to, not only have you gathered your data and made case, but you've also gathered the individuals who believe in it, who can help sell uh, sell in, right? 
because I I tell the members of my team and other people all the time, in addition to the quotation we're just talking about, you can have the best idea in the world, but if you can't sell it in, it's not going to go anywhere. So the reality is, is building an internal community, even at the place you work, who, 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 um, can be that driving force to get something approved, who can help even also make your idea better. I mean, the reality is I can't tell you how many times I've had, I would say a nugget of an idea, then you chat with your, you know, the community you fostered internally, and then it becomes this bigger, greater thing. Um, and then you have the the resources and the people and the buy-in so that when you pitch it to leadership or other members of leadership, the chances of you getting a yes are just significantly higher versus if you mm. went at it alone. Um, it isn't to say that you can't get approval on some, you know, going alone. It's just, it, be, it can be a little bit more difficult or what can happen is you'll say, uh, you'll hear back. That's a great idea. I love it from your leadership. But before I give you a yes, you need to go talk to XXXXX person, which then means you've got like another like week or two or three to do to basically wrangle those individuals and get them on board. So, you know, having their immediate buy in or having their connection and built in trust can allow you to sometimes again, move a lot faster. So when that right idea comes, and if there's a timeline sensitivity to it, you can again meet that timeline. Yeah, no, they're both really good points. I was going to say, I interpreted that as so many B2B companies and even on personal branding, people working in the industry who try and position themselves as thought leaders and like leading the industry. And more often than not, I found they put out things that they think make them look good instead of what people want to hear. So they're not actually speaking to like followers that, that they have. They're just sort of leading no one but as one of the one of the great things about the quote you can read in all sorts whatever whatever applies to you at that time well yeah exactly and it can have multiple meetings in different areas i mean i think the again getting back to that tone deafness we have i think everybody has seen the year 2020 is like oh gosh another webinar oh gosh another <laughs> another collaboration between brands telling me that this is the latest thought leadership x you know there's just an yeah. endless amount of those things going on right now and more times than not to your point even by title or description, you've seen something like that multiple times. It, the the brands that I applaud that do it well are just saying, this is exactly what it is. It, we're we're going to address the things that are exciting and hopeful. But we're also going to address the really crummy things that have happened this year, right? And I think speaking to mm-hmm. people in that voice and tone really allows them to, to um, know that in addition to learning, there's going to be a little bit of an empathetic moment in here where we're going to address the ugly and the optimistic and good, right? As opposed to we're going to give you broad strokes of, you know, learnings that you know, we've learned, you know, uh, with other companies. Oh, but by the way, we're, we're million or billion dollar companies. And good luck if you're a small company trying to take any of these insights and actually apply them. That, I think that's such a good point. And I'm good, glad you touched on 2020 there, Jason, because it has been such a sort of bizarre year in uh, many ways. Mm-hmm. Following in that vein, what would you like to see more of, do you think, in 2021 from not just B2B brands, but B2C brands as well? I, you know, I, I always start before I think about the brands thinking about the navigating where I think the mindset of individuals is going to go. And I'm talking even before I get down to brand or sector level. So to me, like one of the things I've been really thinking about is, you know, and this is specific to America, um, you know, for people are going to be so excited to turn that page for 2020 to 2021. There's always a lot of hope at the beginning of a new year, which makes sense. You're starting a new calendar and, and you really want to build that like new year, new me moment. I think we're going to have that for a couple of days where people are excited and, and content, no doubt out there in the world is going to reflect that. Like so many brands will be hitting on that. But I think if brands were really smart, they would take the time to realize that after that week, that first week of the new year, 
there's going to be a there's going to be a drop, I believe, in people's emotions because the reality is, is it's not over. COVID is still mm-hmm. here. Lockdown is still here. All the restrictions that came with 2020 are still here. Some of them are getting better, but a lot of it is still here. And a lot of that is going to not have you make the progress emotionally as a person as maybe as you wanted to, right? And so I think the reality is, is you're going to see like two or three times this year where people go through their new year, new me moment. There's going to be the Jan 1 time. Then there's going to be the time if in the upper hemisphere when spring hits and people become excited again because it's new awakenings. And then there's going to be the time when COVID is behind us. Knock on wood, it is in 2021. Mm-hmm. And each one, of the, each one of those times, people are going to get uh, to have this sense of freedom and a little bit more and excitement and hope. And so that's an interesting thing that I think is going to happen next year that we haven't seen, which is there's going to be these sharp moments of uptick and hope. And then sometimes a little bit of a fall as we're still waiting for COVID to get behind us. And as we're still trying to get back to this, uh, you know, a life where we're not as restricted and what we can do socially um, out there in the world. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how brands tackle that. And I think the smart ones will not play into what is historically known of a calendar year, which is like, you know, January is all about setting goals. That, that, that's definitely still going to happen. Goal setting is still going to happen. But how can you reach out to your to your consumers in a way that is giving them goals that can actually be tackled given the, this, the ongoing restrictions we're having? Um, so that way they don't feel let down if they don't meet their goals. So that way they don't feel bummed to be associated with your brand if they don't reach their goals. Right. So I think we're going to should always keep in mind, like, what is the heart and sentiment of individuals out there and what's going on culturally? Uh, Because we would all love to believe, again, that come 2021, COVID's going to be over. It's going to keep going for many months. And so I I just I worry culturally as as a people or globally, really, that like we still have a a ways to go emotionally. So that's a really unique and interesting perspective there, Jason. It seems like a good place to wrap up. But I just want to say thank you so much. Um, Obviously, some fantastic advice throughout this podcast and definitely lessons to take on board among B2B companies, but also among B2Cs as well. But yeah, fantastic. I mean, we hope hope to catch up again in the future when I always said the world would changed again completely and the lessons of today will be maybe different tomorrow but thanks for joining us thank you so much it was an absolute pleasure absolute pleasure thank you for listening we really hope you enjoyed this episode if you did please remember to leave us a review on itunes because it really really helps and allows us to bring you brand new episodes every single week this has been the social minds podcast with myself theo watts eve young and produced by ollie thompson 